Well, welcome, everyone, to the Robin Walter Show. God bless you today. We have uh, a different kind of a program for you today. I am going to try to focus on just a couple of topics, which I usually cover the waterfront, as you well know, uh, But because there's a, a lot of waterfront to cover, a lot that needs to be said. But I'm going to focus on just two things today, and before I get launched onto those two things, I want to share something from... Well, first of all, kind of a repeat of what I shared a couple of weeks ago regarding the issue of the number of people who are believing that there will be a necessity to take up arms at some point to defend ourselves from the government. Now, mind you, this doesn't mean the overthrow of the government. This means to defend ourselves against an imperious, invasive totalitarian, increasingly socialistic government that wants to strip us of our rights, our freedoms, and most of all, strip us of the ability to defend ourselves, which is why back in November, there was a one-third of the Republicans that were polled said that they believed the time was coming or was already here that we'd have to take up arms under the Second Amendment to defend ourselves against this invasive, increasingly totalitarian left-wing Joe Biden regime. What I shared a couple of weeks ago was that number of about 31-32% no longer reflected just the percentage of Republicans. It reflected the percentage of all Americans that were asked. Clearly, there were less Democrats. Clearly, there were more Republicans that felt that way. But there were a significant number of independents, libertarians, what have you, who believe that that day is coming or is already here where we will have to have arms to defend ourselves against the jack-booted Nazis presently running Washington, D.C. Now, There's one other thing. The reason I bring that up is because a recent poll, just from last week, indicates that among Trump supporters, now mind you, we're starting with Trump supporters, but like the last poll started with just Republicans, generally. These are Trump supporters, a majority, over 50% of you who, you know, made it through eighth grade like me, that means over 50, the majority of Trump supporters now believe the only way that the country can be saved is if one or more states leave the Union and form their own country. That's a majority of Trump supporters. Now, I have never hoped for that day, but I have warned about it and I have shared the inevitability of that day for over 15 years on the air. I have known it was coming. It is coming because there's a biblical paradigm for it. But I find this interesting that it's a majority of Trump supporters. There's a lot of Trump supporters, but a majority think 
that some state like Texas and then maybe to be joined by Oklahoma and then move on to Kansas and Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, maybe Arizona, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, maybe Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, maybe Indiana, maybe Ohio, maybe Michigan, that those states, probably Alaska, would say adios. It's been nice, but we have to scream. And if we're going to save or try to restore the countries we once knew it, we have to get gone and get back to the way the country was and the principles upon which it was founded, allowing for some improvements along the way. Obviously, they wouldn't go back to slavery and the women not voting, but get back to where there's no queer marriage, no queer adoption, no tranny this, no abortions, and keep out of the the new country those who would sour it, those who would come from California, New York, and Illinois for all the wrong reasons. They just come for economic reasons, but bring their voting crapola with them and destroy the new country. So that is now a majority of Trump supporters believe that. Doesn't surprise me. This is just sort of what I've predicted for, like I said, over 15 years. I think it's inevitable because you can only be ruled by force or by consent. And when it's by force, then it's people want to get up and get gone. So if this attitude spreads, like the necessity of taking up arms to protect ourselves spreads, then you can expect to hear more and more talk about a state leaving. And there is now that bill in Texas, can't think of the guy who introduced it, to have the vote next year whether Texas should leave the United States. And uh, it's interesting here, if I could just draw an analogy of divorce. You know, in Scripture, God talked about divorcing Israel. And like a natural divorce, it's a parting of the ways, but God's divorcing of Israel was done as a as the last or so-called final act, if you will, towards attempting a reconciliation with the people he loved. So in other words, he had to send Israel off on its own, basically divorce them. No longer responsible for you guys. You're on your own. You want to be on your own. You're on your own. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, they got whacked. They got slapped. They got jabbed. They got invaded. They got overrun. Everything went to pot. Their economy, they became slaves. They became servants. All of that. And guess what? They didn't want to be divorced anymore. So in God's infinite wisdom, he used the divorce of Israel as sort of the last attempt and at, at reconciliation. If I send them off, they will want to return. And I suppose there's been some natural marriages where one spouse has actually divorced the other in the hopes of a reconciliation. I don't know. Probably has happened somewhere. I can't say that I've necessarily heard of that, but there might be that so godly, so divinely ordained man or woman who ultimately actually divorces a spouse in the hopes that the separation 
will then cause a rejoining. I'm sure that that's happened. I, I'm sure it is. I just can't say that I have experience with it. So could that be what happens here? Could that be that the if Texas says we're leaving, Oklahoma said, you know what, we hate you, Texas, and football, but we're going to join you in the new country. And other states threaten to leave. Is that threat of divorce enough to cause a reconciliation? I don't know. But I think we're going to find out. Okay. Oh, I guess I've made it a three-topic uh, program this week. I had only two, but that first thing was only going to take 30 seconds. And uh, I've waxed uh, not so eloquently, uh, I suppose, here for about seven minutes on that. Anyway, what I'd next thing I'd like to cover is what would we like to hear Joe Biden say? Some people have asked me, you know, what, what would you like to hear from Joe Biden? Well, I'm going to draw on a letter, a piece written by Larry Tomzak. Larry, I appreciate what you wrote. I'm going to read a good portion of it. I will inject things of my own here and there, but this originated with Mr. Tomzak, and he entitled it, A Draft of Joe Biden's Letter Apologizing to America. And so when people ask me what would I like to hear Joe Biden say, well, of course, I'd like to hear a heartfelt repentance. But he may be well beyond that. His brain is gone. His mind is gone. His soul is shot. He seems to actually want to do the devil's bidding. He's a useless, left-wing, regressive puppet in the hands of others. He has no mind. He has no guts. And he has no morals. He's got nothing. But God parted the Red Sea. He raised Jesus from the dead. Could he do the same with Joe Biden? In this case, raise him from the brain dead. No no small task. But reinstitute not reinstitute, institute, because I'm never sure he I'm not sure he ever had any real morals. I think Joe Biden Historically, if you looked at the things he said and say, well, why has he changed? He hasn't really changed in one sense. He licks his finger, puts it to the wind, and sees what's politically beneficial, and that's what he says. So 30 years ago, he would say things that we like to hear, generally speaking, because that was the direction of the political winds. But now he's under the control of the regressives. I don't call them progressive. They're not progressing. Not If you call progressing and heading towards hell progress, then I guess you can call them progressives. But define the term. They're regressives. They're going back in every moral area you could possibly imagine. So this is, as I edit a little bit going along the way, Larry Tomzak's letter of, a, of what we would like to hear Joe Biden say to the American people. My fellow Americans, I'm sorry, that was a lousy LBJ. Why would I ever want to impersonate LBJ anyway? One of our worst presidents. But my fellow Americans, it's been said that a politician is concerned about the next election, but a statesman is concerned about the next generation. 
I will turn 80 and am the oldest president to serve in this office. I've done serious reflection during times here in Delaware, and I believe the time has come to do something many will say is political suicide. But I prefer to say is necessary to preserve my presidency and to run for re-election in two years. I approach you in humility, acknowledging what has become obvious to the majority of Americans, and that is that I have failed miserably in my position, and it's time for a course correction to hopefully save what many now call a sinking ship. Allow me to highlight five specific areas. Number one, in my inauguration speech, I promise to unify our country and be a president for all the people. I have obviously failed by dividing Americans like no other time except for the Civil War. Characterizing America with the labels of systemic racism and white supremacy was blunt, a bad choice of words that regretfully threw gasoline on the fires of racial divide at a time when we needed Lincoln-esque words of healing. I am so sorry. Number two, I openly professed to be a Christian and devout Catholic, yet my actions proved hypocritical, especially regarding my radical support for aborting developing babies, when to follow the science would irrefutably reveal that babies' hearts are beating at five weeks' gestation. Siding with Democrats and promoting abortion of babies until their due date is not absurdity, but depravity. An extremist position, putting us in concert with Communist China and Vietnam, who brook no human rights. Witnessing states like Maryland, California, New York, embracing the slippery slope to infanticide is unconscionable. And I pledge in the future to save innocent human life. I also deeply regret not taking a responsible stand, but rather being missing in action, MIA, when protesters broke federal laws demonstrating before Supreme Court members' homes. Three-quarters of Americans disdained the illegal protests, but I did not rise to the occasion. Please forgive me. Number three. No longer will I cover up my misguided policies that caused our current economic disaster. Americans are suffering due to the highest inflation in decades, highest gas prices in history, devastation of their 401k, stock market investments, and average households paying $6,000 every single year more than the year before. Inflation is the product of poor decisions at the top. I caved to climate change zealots. I stopped the Keystone XL pipeline. I instituted regulations strangling the oil industry and violated the law of supply and demand, setting in motion the disastrous consequences plaguing us today. Blaming the virus and Vlad was mere deception. When inflation was 1.4%, for now we are approaching 10%, and gas prices were $2.93 when Trump left office, despite the pandemic. To salvage my failed presidency, I must act decisively to correct this dangerous situation. 
Please pray for me and my advisors before recession shock hits. I can't believe just how misguided I was. Number four, maybe my gravest mistake, besides picking Kamala Harris, who has proven both unpopular and totally unfit for her position, my abject failure in ignoring the immigration crisis at our southern border. My open borders policy will have allowed 2 million migrants, including drug traffickers, criminals, sex traffickers, and terrorists, to surge into our country in violation of immigration laws for which I am responsible as commander-in-chief and guardian of our national security. I took the oath of office, and I could be impeached for dereliction of duty here. And to my shame, I've never even been to the border as president. 107,000 died just last year from drug overdose, primarily due to fentanyl freely brought here by cartels across our border. These are our youth whose lives were terminated because of my lack of leadership. I should have known better from what I went through with Hunter. Mea culpa, mea culpa. I will not look the other way anymore. And I will begin by firing Alejandro Mayorkas, who has proven totally incompetent and has become a national embarrassment. Number five. As a professing Christian, I know the sacred scripture reveals marriages between one man and one woman. There are two genders, male and female. And parents, and not the government, have the primary responsibility to train their children according to their values, not some LGBTQ propaganda or permissiveness or pop culture trends. My Bible and my Catholic Church teach we are to be compassionate to all, but to recognize adultery, fornication, and homosexuality as sins and extend God's offer of redemption when one repents and draws upon God's amazing grace for forgiveness, freedom, and a fresh start. I sincerely repent for my compromise here and encourage everyone to embrace abundant and eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In closing, I know there are so many other areas where I need to ask forgiveness and mercy from you. So, my fellow Americans, what I did in withdrawing from Afghanistan, ignoring my military advisors, was an unmitigated disaster that needlessly cost the lives of 13 service members, sacrificed other lives, and disgraced us before a watching world. I wasted $80 billion in sophisticated military equipment, and we now observe a once-defeated Taliban and ISIS reconstituting to again tack what they call the infidels of America. I grieve daily for my reckless actions. I was also naive, like so many, in supporting Marxist Black Lives Matter, now being exposed for fraudulent activities, and financial exploitation during a racially tense season after the George Floyd tragedy. Their branding of America as racist and misrepresentation of police and fiery rhetoric inflamed, rhetoric inflamed people to arson, 
looting, assaults, and destruction of billions and billions of dollars of property. Calls for defunding the police, tearing down of the nuclear family and historic monuments should have been obvious to me, but I was gullible, and I lament my lack of discernment. I could go on, but I will stop and simply ask if you will forgive me, and please forgive old Joe, and give old Joe another chance. For to err is human, to forgive is divine. I know what I'm communicating in this letter will be shocking to millions, especially those seeking to replace our Judeo-Christian constitutional republic, which has prospered and been a blessing to the world for 250 years, or almost 250. To leftist democratic progressives intent on refashioning America into a socialist country, I ask that you release me from being your instrument for change, from being your puppet, as I've tried and failed miserably, as has the totalitarian model for governing you've had me advance. Sincerely, Joe Biden. Wouldn't that be a lovely thing to hear? Would it cause me to vote for him? Uh, pro- still probably not, because <laughs> I'm not sure he'd be sincere. He, because I know at that point, if he actually did that, then the Democrats, not the Republicans, the Democrats, who are the majority, would haul out the 25th Amendment, and he'd be bounced out of office. So there would be no sense voting for him because he wouldn't, he wouldn't survive re-election from his own party if, in fact, that happened. And could it happen? Yeah, I suppose it could. Well, I want to move on to something else here. Uh, story number three, because this is, and I've, I've mentioned this on several occasions before, for a long time, but clearly back when the pandemic was picking up speed, the old Rahm Emanuel never waste a crisis thing certainly went into warp speed mode under the current regime. But the prediction was, and it was an easy prediction to make, it's, and it's coming true, and that is the next emergency, of course, will be alleged climate change. The alleged climate change. It's going to be something that has to reach all the way to the UN and has to be something that would be, in theory, embraced by the bulk of the nations, and something that would not be threatening as from a dictator, so the, such as, let's say, the Antichrist. Is the Antichrist going to rise up as a dictator threatening people? Well, in the end, he will be that. He'll kill people. He'll prosecute them, imprison them, take away their assets. But that's not the way you'll start out, because he wouldn't be received in that manner. He's going to be sort of Obama-esque, in theory, charismatic, smooth, beguiling for sure. But he will come in or come on the scene heralding a cause that would seem right, good, benign, if not beneficial to all of mankind. 
And that is why the whole climate crapola is being so pushed down the throats at university level, high school level, junior high level, grade school. You get hounded and rounded out if you deny the existence of climate change. Now, keeping in mind that I think it was the first three State of the Union addresses by Barack Hussein Obama, where he said, it's settled. It's settled science. Global warming is a fact. Well, it was the only science that was settled is we know it's settled that it's political science. It's not natural science. And if it was settled then for two or three State of the Union addresses by Obama as being a fact, global warming is a fact, why did it cease to be global warming and became climate change? Well, if if global warming was a fact, there was no need for a change. So if you ask somebody, well, what's the real problem with climate change? Well, it's the warming of the climate. Well, then why did you quit calling it global warming? Well, well, the fact is because global warming is actually not necessarily happening, which we're going to prove in this program. But we're going to do it both in a natural sense, in other words, natural science, which I'm only going to pull on one recent story to make my case. I could do an entire program just on the natural science refutation of climate change. But we're going to go to the ultimate source, the Word of God. The Word of God actually proves we do not have any change in the climate except for what God does. It is not man. Man will do some things, but God understands man has fallen. Do we pollute? Yeah. But is there a correction for pollution? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there is still evidence of the Exxon Valdez thing from how many years ago, but the the world, the waters, the land, they kind of heal themselves. Sometimes it takes longer, and God has built into the world a certain aspect of healing, even for the non-believing world, just like he has built into our human bodies processes for natural healing, that exists even among non-believers. He's a good God. He's long-suffering, but he won't strive with man forever. We know that. So before we get to the biblical basis for refuting global warming, I want to touch on something that came out here just uh, last week or a couple weeks ago now, put out by a, um, an outfit called, if I could even say the, the uh, say this correctly, UMATSAT, UMATSAT. And it stands for the European Organization for the Exploitation of Meteorological Satellites. I say, well, who the heck are these guys? I'd never heard of them. But they are an organization that has created through an agreement by 30 European nations. It did not include the United States. It was just this convention of meteorological uh, experts for trying to verify the existence of 
global warming. Keeping in mind that the findings, by and large, in the United States in most places, not in the case of what I'm going to quote you here in a minute, in most cases, that is the result of simply government funding. So let me just ask this question, a rhetorical question. So if if you wanted a result of finding out that there was, in fact, global warming, what would you do? How would you go about that process of finding that there is global warming? As a government, you want that conclusion, so you have to do something in particular. I will get to that right when we come back. Don't go away. This is Robin Walter with The Robin Walter Show. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to The Robin Walter Show. P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Or go to robinwalter.net and use PayPal. That's The Robin Walter Show. P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Or robinwalter.net and use PayPal. Thank you. 18 We are back. This is the Robin Walter Show. So my question that I posed before the break is this, or was this, if you wanted to have a finding, if you wanted to find the alleged existence of global warming, as a government, what would you do? Well, you would fund it. And so what the government has done is they've got gazillions of dollars in grants to find whether there's global warming. And guess what? When you fund it, you find it. If you fund it, you will find it. Because for all these institutions that are taking government money, they're getting it to find it. It's say, well, we want to determine, is there this? They say, well, we're finding some evidence of it, and, well, okay, here's some more money. We'll continue in the study, continue in the analysis. Yep, we're coming up with it. Let's flip this around. Let's suppose that the funding by government was we would like to determine that there is, in fact, no global warming. Just flip it around. Now the money goes out to find that there is no global warming, and guess what? They won't find any. I'm serious. Be, you think, well, this is pretty pretty crude, pretty base. Well, it is. If you fund it, you will find it. 
And whatever you fund, you're going to come up with that conclusion. That's how. That's why we are where we are. Why a a an anti climate change. If you're not a climate change zealot, you can't even hold a position anymore as the head meteorological person of your particular state. You get fired because you're not drinking the Kool Aid. You're not spout spouting the the narrative. So back to this organization called UMATSAT, <laughs> the 30 European nations whose meteorologists got together and have come out just recently with the following findings. They have determined that the um, Arctic sea ice expanse was so great in May that it has put the Arctic sea ice at a 30-year high. A 30-year high. And so if the extent of Arctic ice during warmer months has been a metric for climate change alarmist, well then, why would you have Al Gore back in 2007 who started warning the world that scientists were predicting that by 2013... 2013, nine years ago, the Arctic would be ice-free. No ice. And here we are in 2022, and the Arctic is at a 30-year high in ice. Well, I mean, we knew that we knew Al was a liar, and he was just trying to profit, so... You know, so he he said, well, the, the ocean's going to be rising, the ocean's going to be rising. And I lived in Santa Barbara County at that time, and they painted this blue line. They went inland, I don't know, 10 or 12 miles and painted this line, which is where by such and such a date the ocean would be. So what did Al do? He bought a house for Tipper right on the beach. He's a hypocrite. He's a jackass. He doesn't He doesn't believe his own rhetoric, but he profited millions from it. So this organization has said, they're quoting, most years the Arctic loses ice, but this year the ice extent has increased by 77,000 square miles. 77,000 square miles. And I could go on with other stories about how certain countries have had record cold. And the climate people will say, well, that's the climate change. Why are we, why are we having record cold? Climate change. Why do we have this record heat? Climate change. Well, why is this really hot day still did not break the record set back in 1947? Uh, climate change. It's a stupid answer, but they don't have another answer. The answer is always climate change, and everybody cheers and pats them on the back for being so astute, being so educated, being so erudite. When in reality, they're just puppets being used. Well, what does the Bible say? Ultimately, this is all that really matters, right? Who gives a rat's rear end what Al Gore says? The only thing he, I mean, that bloated whatever, I mean, the only thing he does really well anymore is a 
impersonation of a beached whale. But people demand that the debate ends, just like Obama. The debate is over. I know, I know, the science is settled. Well, that's what he said. Well, the political science is settled. We know that the politics is that it is going to be a demand that the debate end. What kind of scientist worth his salt would simply arbitrarily, at somebody's command, stop the debate, stop the investigation? No, good scientist. Not worth her salt, no. The fact of the matter is that you can't have a global government without a global crisis. You can't have a one-world government without a worldwide catastrophe or a prospect of one. So this is how you get the power over other people's lives, and this is what you do to get control over resources and redistribute the wealth is to force this re-education upon the people from top to bottom. Well, let me start with this. What does God think about these nations? Not the ones that cited the the Arctic ice, but all the nations in the UN wanting to demand that everybody bow down to a climate change world. Why do you think Bill Gates has just bought yet more farmland in North Dakota? Because he will contend, as he does, it's climate change, and we cannot have the world population increasing. So I will tell you what Bill Gates is going to do with the farmland. Not jack squat crap diddly. Nothing. He will take it out of production as he continues to buy more land and more land and more land, and when he's dead, it goes to his uh, charitable foundation, which will hang on to it because he wants to force a food crisis. Cut down on the food supply, you then have increased the dependency on government. Right? What will man, generally speaking, man not do for another meal? Well, he'll steal, rob, kill if he has to, to eat. Do you think that he'll vote the way that uh, the people say, well, if you vote this way, he'll, that we'll, we'll take care of you? But what does God think? At these nations doing this, well, he's got a plan that, of course, will trump theirs. But it says in Psalm 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision because the wisdom of man is mere foolishness to God. And praise God for that. Well, I've got to move along here. I'm going to run out of time. But just a few natural things to consider. And I've known this, uh, and a gentleman, a friend of mine, where I'm visiting, reminded me of it just the other day, about the whole thing about the ice cube and the glass of water. So supposedly if the Arctic ice did melt, it raises the water and floods the world. All of the kids believe this in school. And yet one simple experiment will prove them wrong, 
and that is you take that ice cube, put it in a glass of water, let the ice cube melt. The water will not rise one bit. Go try it. Go do it. Get a glass of water out, put ice in it, and just let it melt naturally as the room temperature increases. Let that ice melt and tell me. In fact, you can even do this. You can even fill it up to the point of overflow where the ice cube is sticking up out of the glass a little bit. Let it melt and see if that glass is running over after the ice cube melts. No, the ice has displaced the water. There is no increase in the level of the ocean due to Arctic or Antarctic ice melt. Zero. But we have a good God, and this good God says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, he said, quote, while the earth remains, and does it still remain? Of course it does. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. He just got done saying seed time and harvest will not cease. God is good. Like I said in one place in the Old Testament, he, he winked at the sins of the nations because they just didn't know better. Yeah, they'd get judged, but not on the basis of knowing better. He puts up with a lot. He laughs at those with the, the plans of those nations to try to alter his laws. But while the earth remains seed time and harvest, well, absent judgment for sin, we'll continue to have seed time and harvest. Unless Bill Gates buys all the farmland and takes it out of production. You'll have, guess what, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. What is global warming? It's called in the northern hemisphere, summer. What's global warming <laughs> in the southern hemisphere? It's when they have summer. But I'm not going to stop there. There's more evidence. Now, the fact is, we have had pestilence from um, from a distortion of the environment, so to speak. But it's God's distortion. He's distorted. Pestilence is mentioned 49 times in Scripture. It's nothing new. Global warming has never been the cause of pestilence in Scripture. There, God talks about famines in Scripture. Ninety-eight times God mentions famine in Scripture. All but a few being historical, these are the only ones God's deemed necessary to tell us about. So they're not unique, they're plenteous. And the great majority, not every single time, because God doesn't explain why there is a famine. Sometimes he just says, well, there is a famine in the land. But the connection of famine to sin is unmistakable. If the global warming advocates acknowledge the role of sin and judgment, they would be a lot closer to getting it right. I mean, you've got the plagues, right, of Egypt. You got David's sin for numbering the people. He had a choice of judgments. He chose a plague which killed seventy thousand people from Second Samuel. There was you know choose between seven years of famine, 
three months of running from your enemies, or three days of a plague. So God promised pestilence and famine to those Israelites who refused to be taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and exiled to Babylon. Jeremiah 38.2 says, Thus saith the Lord, He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. So for starters, there are a lot of my word of faith friends who are out there saying that famine and pestilence is the work of the devil. In the 5% of the time, there's no reference as to what the cause was. The other 95% of the time, it's God judging the nations for sin. And yet, in that judgment, he still ends up providing ways for people to survive. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But we aren't done. We aren't done with the biblical evidence of the fact that there is no such thing as global warming. If you go to the book of Job, you might you might want to take these down. I think these things these passages are worth writing down so you are armed when you run up against the uh, global warming Nazis, the climate alarmists. Job 38, verses 8 through 11. Job 38, verses 8 through 11, says as follows. Who shut up the sea with its doors when it broke forth, as if it had issued out of a womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and broke up for it many a decreed place, and set bars and doors. And who said, speaking of himself, Hitherto shall thou come, but no further. Here shall the proud waves be stopped. The proud waves be stopped. So God, God is saying here through Job, this, it's God who sets the shoreline. It's not going to rise from climate change. No, if it's going to rise, it's going to be because God has raised it. More proof? Here you go. Write it down. Psalm 104, verse 9. You, Lord, have set a boundary that they, the waters, may not pass over. There's something. God set the boundary. Not enough? Write down Proverbs 8, 29. The Lord assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress His command. His command. I mean, this is God setting things sovereignly into the system of the world that man is not going to change, cannot change, no matter what they say or how they try. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5.22. He said, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence? which I have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass over it. 
and though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. I mean, this is God speaking that it does not matter what man says or thinks they can do. Man cannot make the oceans rise if man wanted to make the oceans rise. If we if we sent up a gazillion hair dryers up to the Arctic and the Antarctic and melted all the ice, it would we could not raise the level of the ocean. God has set that as a perpetual decree. Here's where the sand is. Is there some natural erosion that occurs from a wave? Yeah, I, I'm not going to deny that. There are places where they were up on a bluff, and over the years, the waves have pounded at the base of a bluff, and it's eroded it. I thought, but that's but that's not due to climate change. It's not due to warmer water. And in fact, this blows me away. There are places, mistakenly, but they are thanking, they're thankful for what they consider to be climate change because the alleged warming of the waters has been such that they believe that that's why certain parts of the Sahara are getting rain that they didn't get before. Well, I don't think it's that, but my sense is that they just don't know who to thank. They need to thank God. They need to thank the Lord for the rain. The rain is a blessing from God. Scripture says that. If you have rain, it's a blessing from God. He's given it to you. Forget this crap about going up and seeding seeding the clouds with iodine or whatever they used to try to do to create the rain. No. Here's what you do. You just kind of go to your if you've sinned, go to your knees and repent. Why not have a president pray that God would return the rain to some parched area of the country. And God, what, like David did, David, what sin, the sin that, you know, he committed in numbering the people. You know, he said, what, and and why? Why has this happened? Well, he numbered the people, but also there was a sin that was committed by Saul when he slaughtered, I think it was the Gibeonites, because Saul broke the treaty that he made with them and wouldn't kill them, and God brought a judgment on Israel. And David said, why, God, is this? Why is this happening? And God showed him. Here's the sin. Saul made it, uh, Joshua made a treaty, and Saul broke it. Bad. Well, what do we have to do? And then, then I'm not going to go into the solution. We don't have time. But the fact is, there was a repentance. Repent, I mean, when do people repent and God does not answer? But why should God answer when there has never been any repentance? And yet in his goodness, he will still make sure that through all eternity, until he returns, there will still be seed time and harvest, cold and winter, summer and, and, uh, summer and winter, spring and fall, seed time and harvest. It will not quit. Now, to conclude this and wrap it up, we don't have to worry about anything dealing with climate change except the people pushing climate change, and you need to be able to refute them. Now, if you think that this is good news, it is good news, but there is some bad news involved in this, and you know what that is? 
There is a time when there's going to be global warming. There is. It's coming. We not yet, but again, it's God-ordained. If you look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I think, I didn't put this out here, but I think it's in verse 10. And what does he say? I've got to find it myself here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So Al Gore, you got it right. There is a climate change event. There is global warming. The inconvenient truth, however, Al, is that this is judgment. And you, like the others, unless you repent, are going to be caught up in a burning up of the world. I mean, it's going to, it says it's going to melt the elements with a fervent heat. That is a very quick process. So there is a climate change event coming. The implication of Scripture is it's probably all in one day, maybe within a couple of hours. I don't know. But it's not over all the time, or eons of time. And all this to say, as I shared the other day in a men's Bible study that I was leading, there is, there is nothing in the Word of God that is irrelevant. Nothing. You think, oh, that's just Old Testament, whatever. Well, no, you just haven't stumbled across maybe the application of that Old Testament passage because the situation hasn't arisen. Would I have shared any of these passages about where the sea is stopped and it can't go any higher without? If we didn't have people pushing the the climate change agenda, no, I'd have no reason. I'd have no reason for the for me to ever note or remember, much less mark down and write out these verses if the situation had not arisen that made these passages relevant. There is nothing in, we have no need in life, no issue in life, for which the Bible does not address it. You say, well, that doesn't cover this, or, you know, doesn't, doesn't tell me what tie to wear. Well, I've got a wife for that. You know, he's provided some other way. But if for every meaningful issue in life, the answer is in the Word. And if you think, well, I've just read the Bible. I read the Bible once. Well, you need to read it about 8, 9, 10, 11 more times. Every single time more will come out. Every single time you will become more knowledgeable, you will be armed, and you will be dangerous to the regressives, to the left, to those who hate the Lord, who hate the Bible, the Christophobes, the Bibliophobes, the Truthophobes. Now, you speak the truth, you speak it in love, but you do it firmly. No willow, no flopping around. None of this, well, I think or I feel, don't dispossess yourself of the authority that Jesus has given you. 
You're talking about how I think and how I feel. You're not speaking with authority. Speak with the authority of the Word of God. You will be blessed, and who knows? You'll enlighten some. Gosh, what a dink! Some might just ask you how to get saved. God bless you all. See you next week. Robin Walter Show. Sit tall in the saddle. You ride for the brand, the brand of Jesus Christ.